Welcome back, everyone. It's loaded and rolling. I'm Thomas Watson, trucking expert here at Freight Waves. And, you know, it's the end of January. Those of you just joining us, this is a live show and a podcast, of course. And one of the big things is of earnings, you know, Q4 earnings. And there's been a lot of moves, a lot of layoffs, a lot of recent breaking news, if you're catching us, uh, catching in, as well as geopolitical events. So, you know, given the circumstances and everything that's going on, I thought we'd have some experts come on and super excited to be welcoming on Phil Schmidbauer. If you don't know him, he is the Senior Director of Analytics and Solutions at ODW Logistics. Uh, they've been around since 71. So if there's ever folks to ask about what's going on, ask the ones who have survived long enough, especially coming from uh, having not only warehousing, trucking and logistics, but uh, Phil, great to have you back on, of course. Let's, let's just dive in because I feel like, you know, especially... This Q4 numbers, and we're in the first quarter, it, it's looking a little bit rough out there, some choppy waters. Yeah, you're not kidding. Thanks for having me on, Tom. It's always a pleasure. Um, and just to be clear, I haven't been around since 71, but uh, the company has. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been really soft out there, uh, to say the least. Um, and, and the market's not great. Uh, there's a lot of things going on around the world that impact everything. But uh, it's just, it's been soft. It hasn't gotten better. And, and to your point, there's a lot of stuff in the news right now about people getting laid off and companies selling and all kinds of different things happening. So very, very interesting times. And talking about the layoffs, this is one of the interesting things. Not only we have Uber layoffs, we have Convoy going over, but uh, let's just catch up a quick around the world. What were some of these layoffs that stuck out to you uh, most? Because it, it does feel like anywhere you look, you're going to look at a Warren Act or something. You're just going to see numbers. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the old... Uh, Walter Cronkite, and it's like uh, old night, nightly news saying, and today we've lost this many people to this. So uh, yeah. what are your thoughts? Which one's highlighted to you as kind of the big ones uh, to take away? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So Uber Freight, um, Uber Freight bought a, a, a company that I used to work for long ago, a small 3PL that was bought by TransPlace, and, and then they bought them. And so I know some people that work there, and you hear about layoffs there. And, you know, I, I guess the ones that hit closest to the home are the ones where you might know people that work there. But you quietly see layoffs at a lot of different places. A lot of people are trimming trimming the fat. A lot of people are letting go of of uh, of employees and trying to cut costs, right? Because the, the market is just so soft. There's not that much freight out there. Uh, people are... are lowering rates to try to get freight and capture market share. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's not uncommon. And we see this, you know, we see this quite often people make acquisitions, and then they'll trim the fat. And, uh, but but it's just a it's a market out there. And you're seeing it expand uh, a lot of the layoffs and cuts expand throughout the marketplace. So convoy going under Uber getting with layoffs, the two big, you know, big name digital freight brokerages, which were supposed to use automation and technology to lower labor costs, are still cutting in labor. Is this something where, uh, is it a double-edged sword where maybe the only customers you could have got were those real thin margins? Or is it part of what I'm hearing, which was this very large trend over the past two or three years of pandemic hiring boom, and now it's almost like this correction, uh, not only because of interest rates, but the environment? I think it's a little both. I mean, you think about it, I, I ask myself sometimes, how much is really the technology just booking loads without without somebody doing the work? There's absolutely always going to be tasks for people to do, for humans to do, right? Um, so how much of it was really being done just by the system? Um, some, some of those tasks that people might need are back office type things that, that are done by, by humans in the background. But the other thing to your point is... Um, people can make an investment in people and growing their business when times are good and they can and they can drive the revenue. But as times get thin, a lot of times you're cutting the investments that you can make 
going into your business for that next year, right? So some of these layoffs might be, hey, we were going to invest in this, but we don't have the money to do it anymore and to stay solvent. So we've got to trim the fat where possible. And I think that's just a market-driven thing. Um, the market goes down and you can't you can't invest in things you wanted to invest in when the market was good. So I think there's a, a double-edged sword on both of those things. It's kind of probably a mix of both and some other factors as well. Do you also feel that Flexport, you know, we're going from a traditional freight brokerage to Flexport had an international presence, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, recently, of course, had some layoffs. Is that a situation where if we're looking at the overall environment, I'm assuming it's not just isolated to the truckload and freight segment. It's also having international forwarding and other companies. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at some of the things that are happening around the world and it's not it's not just here. I've actually got a former former colleague, we were interns together after, uh, actually when I was still in college, we were interns together and he's, um, he's the uh, managing director of a large, uh, was the largest at one point, I don't know if they're still the largest, but a very large uh, trucking company in India. So he and I, connect every once in a while. And, you know, you said even over there, it's it's kind of a soft market. There's a lot of talk about, you know, is India going to be the next China when it comes to labor? And you think about all the capital to manufacture and all those things, it's just so slow. Uh, and I asked him his his feel on it uh, recently, actually, just a couple of days ago. Um, and he's like, we're not really feeling a huge manufacturing boom here in India. It's not it's not hitting our business. We're not seeing it. There's just so much, takes so much time to make that happen and so much capital investment and th- things of that nature. So, it's it's uh, it's not just here in the U.S. Um, I think we're seeing it. You're going to see it around the world, and and it's just going to be a ripple effect. I think that's a great point. We're gonna we're gonna of course tie back into that because I want to talk about that with geopolitical and nearshoring because I think that Indian thing yeah. is a canary in the coal mine in terms of timeline, just like with nearshoring. But a big one that recently happened, and if if you are catching us, this is the thirtieth, so maybe we'll have more news afterwards. But UPS announced in their uh, Q4 earnings uh, twelve thousand. Uh, cuts, as well as uh, there's been reports by Bloomberg and other outlets about the possible sale of Coyote. I got a buddy who works at Coyote. They're going to have an all-hands meeting on Friday to talk about the future. (laughs) So when you hear that, (laughs) corporations, Uh, when they sound nice, start being scared. What are your thoughts on that? Because that was like a $1.8 billion acquisition in like, what, 15 or 17? Uh, It was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, so in in a past life, I was part of the I was at Conway when the XPO uh, purchase happened, and so I've I've been part of meetings uh, of that nature and, and things happening. Um, and you see a company like XPO that brought all these different business units together, and then end up splitting those off uh, a number of years later. So when it happened, I, I often wonder to myself, what's the what's the catch here? Like, what is what does Coyote bring value to, to UPS, and how are how are they going to do that? It's just it's a, it's a lot to to process, right? And what their what the true value is, and um, and really what the, what it boils down to is what's the value to the customer, like right? the people that are willing to pay the bills. What's the value that you're going to deliver by making those acquisitions? So yeah, it was it's a shock, but it's not really. I mean, you got two businesses, both in the supply chain, Parcel um, LTL, both very competitive, even with you know Yellow going out and the impact there on the on the network. Uh, but Parcel in its own right is extremely competitive with. FedEx and UPS just going, you know, trading blows on on trying to cut costs and drive drive revenue, um, chasing customers at low rates, um, and then Coyotes in the same business that all these other brokers are in, in the sense that um, you know buy low, sell high, and how low can you go to get the business? How much of a loss are you willing to take, or how thin can your margins get? So it's just a tough market for both both business units. And I have a theory about that. This is Thomas's great theory of two types of brokerages. There is a standalone pure play. Uh, they're typically, I like, the mean term is puppy mill, but the real term is like organic growth where you're like uh, the old school of Coyote, the old Access America, Arrive had it, you're grinding it out, you're hungry. 
Uh, but then when I worked at Asset, U.S. Express and U.S. Express Logistics, it was more okay. of a different vibe. You were covering a customer, you're in a pod. I partially wonder if Coyote, at the time of acquisition, you know, you saw some folks move out, some of those early folks, because you hear about the pedigree. Everyone says they came from one or the yep. other somewhere. Um, is that something where you may lose that edge when you do get bought? And then the, it seemed like a good idea, but then the nature of it changed. And now you're thinking, what's going on? I'm getting weighed down. Yeah, it's just, it's so hard. I mean, when you think about different organizations and I go back to, I go back to a saying I used to have back in the day and I told people all the time, when you incentivize people as individuals, they will act as individuals, right? And so we went through this, I went through this before in my past where uh, everybody's incentivized as an individual and then they don't act as a team, right? So there's a whole lot of things that drive the way people behave. Um, but when you're bringing two organizations together, it's really difficult and, and you have to work as a team and you have to understand all the barriers that are gonna cause that. Um, but but to your point on the brokerages, right? Like if all you're doing is bringing value and saying, I'm going to give you this rate um, and I'm going to try to give you the lowest rate I can on the market, that's not just going to provide a ton of value. Are you optimizing? Are you solving problems for people? Like as a, as a small organization from a transportation perspective in our warehousing, we're always looking at opportunities to drive values for customers. So during the pandemic, we started doing a bunch of transloading and we didn't even have the, we didn't do the transloading ourselves. We worked with transportation partners on the coast to transload the containers that were stuck at the port. And it became a huge business for us out of necessity for our customers. And it's not because we said one day, hey, we wanna open this up. It's because we solve problems, right? And we solve supply chain problems for our customers. So it's not just, hey, I'm gonna get you a really good rate, even though your freight's stuck at the stuck at the port and you can't do anything with it. It's all about solving problems. And I believe that people that are willing to drive that value to their customer and solve problems are gonna survive and thrive in this type of a market. And, and that's what we're doing here at ODW. And I think that's a great point. Segwaying into, not only the impact of LTL, I know UPS had gotten rid of UPS Freight, which was like part of an LTL sold to yeah. uh, TFI, becomes T-Force Freight or something. Um, looking at yep. the impact of yellow, the, the dust is settling. I, I wish I had a Bloomberg graphic. Someone put up a graphic that showed that the performance was better with the less part of yellow. But when you're looking through and parsing, but parsing between the lines, what are some of your thoughts on that? Because yellow was kind of in my, from my, what I've heard anecdotally, uh, dirty cheap. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've had, it was funny. We had a pricing agreement for a customer that came in really low uh, right before that all happened. And we're like, well, we'll leverage it for now, but just letting you know, we're probably going to get a price increase in this at some point. Right. So yeah, there's some, there's some pricing agreements that weren't, they were fairly priced and they were competitive. Um, but there were some where it came in bad. You know, I think from an LTL market standpoint, I think the dust has settled there a little bit. We had some carriers that were you know, struggling. And, and I think you're probably seeing a little bit of jockeying for certain types of freight and whatnot. Um, but I think the dust has settled on the LTL marketplace from that perspective. Um, and I, I don't know, to your point, like T-Force is now running the, the um, LTL from UPS. And um, I, I think more, uh, you know, it's soft, it's still a soft market, but I think that with yellow going out, it's kind of helped keep the, the LTL market afloat. Pricing is still um, hasn't gone through the floor. People aren't chasing volume in the, in the LTL market like is happening in the truckload market, for sure. I do think LTL, that was my favorite theory of pure play truckload always gets into things that isn't truckload. Uh, you know, you're trying to avoid the ups and downs, the sugar high and then the crash. Uh, and, and so when you're looking at the outlook, because not only is yellow out of business, but the terminals and the locations, a lot of folks were staking claims, gobbling up locations. Do you think that's something to watch in the next few uh, quarters to see if that turns into something? Or you think it's still too early to tell because, you know, everyone's still uh, the dust is settling and you, you can buy a warehouse, but good luck trying to staff it, get it up running and then figure out how to integrate it into your network. 
Yeah, well, the interesting part, when you talk about LTL and some of those terminals, right? So a lot of those terminals that people are chasing for big money are in locations where the zoning restrictions are grand. Those locations are grandfathered into zoning restrictions in some of these cities, New York City, and places that are very difficult to where, A, there is no land to build on. You're not going to be able to build a network. All of those LTL networks are built in a manner to, to facilitate the same type of a network, right? Everybody operated them a little different, some more efficient than others, but those are prime locations. Some of those yellow locations have been around forever. And actually talking to some of the carriers, they're like, look, we're chasing properties that we won't be able to build anywhere nearby. There's no land. The current code today won't let us put a facility there. So they're chasing properties that are gonna, that are gonna supplement uh, their network. So today, if they're on the south side of Nashville and yellow had a place on the north side of Nashville, they're gonna go gobble that up. And that's what, that's what a lot of these companies are fighting over is the prime location terminals that they wouldn't be able to go just build today because of, of code and, and restrictions and building uh, permits and all of that stuff. It's just prohibitive. So they might as well chase it, chase it with money and go add it to the network. And you're seeing it happen. Um, you're seeing, I, th I think I just saw in Columbus where we do a ton of business. Uh, saw, um, I think it was XPO or somebody took over the bought the, the old yellow terminal there, which wasn't far from our facility. So I, that's really what the play is on the on the land and the properties for, for yellow's old properties. I'm really interested in that. I have a little bit of a segue on that because I think that, uh, you know, starting out in trucking, I was an ops guy. We only cared about the fundamentals, picking up, dropping service issues. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about long-term things, electrification, as well as uh, autonomous, zoning and location will matter. So that was one of those things. Mm -hmm. I guess I want to get your thoughts as well. My fringe theory is that uh, the players we think are going to succeed in autonomous, the flashy startups may have a harder time than the ones who bought up those former yellow terminals and then they turn it into a hub and spoke or they have the ability because maybe that location matters more. And if I have to park 25 miles away on some fresh land because I can't get zoning for it, how profitable is that going to be if I'm putting nodes somewhere? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think I think when you get into autonomous and electric vehicles, it's a totally different conversation. I think some markets are going to really struggle with it. Uh, cold weather markets and charging your batteries and in uh, on your equipment could be a, a huge challenge. And autonomous, I'm I'm skeptical of of when we're actually going to have trucks. Um, I get it on line haul, but city drivers and some of that stuff. Like, I just think I just think we're so far off, and there's so many things that have to get figured out. Uh, from that perspective, when I was a kid, I thought I'd be driving in a Jetsons, uh, you know, air ride mobile already, and it, it just hasn't happened. So I think there's a lot of road, road barriers to that. But, you know, when it comes to it, like when you think about it, traffic, um, if you're on the south side of Atlanta, on the north side of Atlanta, like there's a lot of issues. Whereas when you're running your line haul at night, you're not running into traffic like you are in the middle of the day with some of these some of these big P&D. So really, the locations are all about efficiency, all about uh, during the day activity when, you, when you're not having to deal with traffic. And it could be a huge deal. I mean, we see it from a service standpoint. If if we're on the east side of Columbus and we have a terminal on the, on the west side of Columbus, they have a hard time servicing our terminal because traffic during the middle of the day in Columbus. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just about efficiency, whether you're talking about autonomous or not. Uh, it's just efficiency in the network and the pickup and delivery of, of freight. I think 100%. I'm starting to call it uh, land, uh, like land rail because the truck, I, I do feel like the early stuff is going to mimic intermodal and everyone thinks intermodal is yeah. going to become big because you can just pop a railhead somewhere, but they have the same zoning issues and they only service profitably these large lanes, your Chicago to LA, LA, Dallas. So I'm starting to, that's my theory here is, uh, uh, you know, yeah. land, you know, over the road, these trucks will kind of mimic an intermodal one. But um, yeah. 
Diving into geopolitics, this is something that being the trucking expert, people say, why do I need to talk about geopolitics? Well, it all comes from a boat somewhere and then it gets matriculated in. What are some of your thoughts? Uh, first, let's talk about nearshoring friend zoning because we can talk about your your friend as well as the Indian trucking company and some of these challenges. Uh, what is, what's the current situation as, as you're looking at it? Because a lot of buzz is here, but it may be taking longer before we actually see anything. Yeah, I mean, just think about what it takes to stand up manufacturing in a location, right? Like, so there's some there's some people that are that are nearshoring services, right? Where you might have a service, and we've talked to some providers about potentially doing that, and we've got a really good uh, what we like to call an assembly line model for managing freight, where we have our group sectioned off, and and um, so we've got a really good handle on our business from the different segments of how to, just how to handle a piece of freight as it moves through our network and and handing that off. But a lot of people are nearshoring and looking at different services that you can outsource and, and let somebody help you with. And then there's the outsourcing of physical goods um, and manufacturing of that. And that's what my friend was saying is, is he's like, look, and he travels all over the world. He's, I, don't, I never know where he's at, but I messaged him quite a bit. And he's like, we're just not seeing it. It's just the capital, the amount of capital that it takes to stand up manufacturing, the labor, all of that stuff. Um, and, and we've got customers that are looking at different manufacturers for some of their products, and and we're constantly helping them with, hey, where's a good place? What are the logistics costs of it? Uh, those type of things. So it's just not that easy to just turn and say, hey, we're going to start manufacturing here or there, and it's going to save us money because there's, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of complexity, a lot of uh, logistics cost analysis you need to look at and understand the risks of doing it. And to your point, the geopolitical risks, like um, you may not have any geopolitical issues where you're manufacturing, but the trade routes of where you're bringing goods and services to, like in the Red Sea or whatnot, might might have major issues, right? So um, look at Ikea. I was looking on Ikea the other day trying to find some, they're having all kinds of disruptions uh, and, and don't have a lot of product in stock at some of these stores because of some of these issues. So there's just, there's it, it doesn't necessarily have to be in your backyard. It can be somewhere else. It's having an impact all across the world. I think that's so fascinating because Tesla was talking about similar problems in Germany because some of the routes mm -hmm. and suppliers and parts were coming through. Uh, you know, as we're seeing the situation, and it does kind of feel like more challenges, uh, these seed lanes have been taken for granted for a while. We haven't seen a lot of disruption. Uh, the last time I think of it was, remember the Somali pirate one, you know, back in the day? Uh, I got a fun story. I was in the, When I was in the Army, one of the uh, cadets, she actually served on the, the ship uh, that they managed to deploy the SEALs on. So she joked, they said, well, they could have landed on the helipad, but you know what they did? They flew right next to it and just jumped in the water and swam over just because they could. So uh, always showing off. But looking at that moving forward, when you're thinking of trying to explain that to clients and stuff and strategizing around it, I mean, how big, a, how much should we be paying attention to upstream? Or is that something where I'm more concerned about what the cost is? Or is there actually a long-term concern? What are the biggest factors to try to digest the stuff that feels like, you know, that thousands of miles away? Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the expert in all of this stuff geopolitical, but you just have to think about your supply chain, right? Where are the risks at? Um, what kind of risks are you getting into going overseas? A lot of our customers are are the experts in sourcing, and they understand some of these things, and we really try to help them help them see, hey. You know, we get great, great information from freight waves and here's some articles and things and here's what's going on. It's just about staying up to up to date on current events and keeping customers apprised of it. So, you know, that that's really what it boils down to is just understanding the risk. We help them understand supply chain risk, um, complexity. Um, you know, a lot of people undervalue the cost of complexity. Um, and I can never you can't really put a number on it. But, you know, it's the same as I tell customers, like if you want to manage three distribution centers for your product, go ahead. There's a level of complexity that I can't really measure, but you're going to spend money on it. 
Um, and so it's, it's fun helping customers consolidate from three down to one or two down to one. And they actually see that and they're like, oh man, so much easier, less inventory, less complexity, but that's the way everything is, right? Complexity costs money. It's just really hard to put a number to it sometimes. And kind of diving into outlooks here, we've got about five minutes left. Uh, RFPs, I'm looking at contracted rates, carriers reporting on their Q4 earnings, still seeing single digit declines. Uh, you know, you can see it on their top line, which means we know contract rates are going down. What are you hearing across the wire, either from folks you're speaking to, industry insiders or anything? Is this a situation where our customers still thinking, maybe I can get another 3 to 5% off the top as I'm going into my next bid? Or is there kind of a consensus now that maybe uh, we're bottoming out on the contract side, which often lags these spot movements? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We have a lot of conversations with customers um, you know, whether, whether it's RFPing a business or just like an annual renewal, or you're talking to your carriers about it, right. And you're seeing the spot market continue to drop or extremely low. Um, and you're right at lags. So you're talking to contract carriers like, look, like I can do a whole lot of things on the spot market for a rate significantly less than where we're at here. How, how can you work with this? And how can we, how can we make this equitable, you know, for, for the customer and, and still get good service and, and things of that nature. So you're right. I mean, you've seen contract rates come down. Um, I, I, you know, I hate giving outlooks because it's just a guess, a wild guess of what we're seeing. Yeah. But right now, things are extremely soft. You're seeing people get laid off. You're seeing people get really aggressive on freight and on the spot market. Contract rates are continuing to fall a little bit. Um, and I think it's just an indication of where we're at right now. And I'd love to say that I think second quarter or third quarter, we're going to start to climb out of this thing. But I haven't really seen us hit bottom and start going up yet. I kind of feel like we're flat and and just kind of, you know, stable, a stable low. Um, and it's, I, I just... I haven't seen anything that says, yeah, we're going to start picking up and start seeing freight rates climb again. The spicy take was Morgan Stanley's Ravi Shanker, who thinks that maybe by the end of Q1, uh, the bet is that customers will continue to be too, will be lean, but they end up too lean. And then we have a rubber banding. Uh, having experience and exposure in warehousing, inventory, managed transportation, you all kind of see it all. Are the customers you're wor working with worried about that inventory or is it something where a uh, truckload capacity is so plentiful if I need to suddenly ramp up, it's not a problem? Because that's one of the big theses. And I wonder, because that's really outside of my wheelhouse, what's the inventory situation? Yeah, I mean, the key is always having the right inventory in the right spot. I don't have any customers that are saying, you know, we're going to dwindle inventory because it's all about do you have too much or too little based on your supply, right? Um, so if you're having supply disruptions or, or risks due to supply disruptions, but, you know, the challenge of having the right inventory in the right spot is always difficult. Again, that's why I go back to simplifying your supply chain. So you only have to have one location to have it at if, you're, if your customers can can handle that. So, um you know, it's not it's not as much where I see people building up inventory because they're worried about things. You do see manufacturers go out uh, of business. We just saw a bar soap manufacturer here in Cincinnati that, hey, we're shutting the doors. And and again, I mean, bar soap is kind of you got a lot of liquid soap these days, but um, and people moving away from bar soap, but but they're not manufacturing anymore. And they, they manufacture a lot of it here in the U.S. So there's just a lot of things happening in the marketplace. And, and again, I wish there was a more positive outlook. But right now it's it's tough sledding. So it's all about delivering value. And looking at final thoughts here. Uh, any key indicators as you all are looking at the overall health? Uh, you know, there's LMI data, there's tons of other data sources. What are some of the things that you're looking for to help make an informed decision or give us some early indicators that things may be getting better or continuing to stay rough? Yeah, I mean, you see, you'll see it with spot market rates, right? As as people are starting to, as, as the volume's growing, um, you know, we'll look at a lot of the things with the tender rejects and, and things of that nature that are telling us, you know, our carriers, what are carriers doing? How are they reacting? Um, and a lot of it's just going to be our volumes. How are our customers selling their product? Are their sales going up? Are their sales going down? And we have customers that have high end 
uh, higher higher cost products uh, that may not be selling as well. And then we have customers with lower end products that might be selling really well right now because of the way the economy feels. So um, those are some of the things we look at, how our customers' product is selling, uh, what some of these indexes are showing, some of the data out there. It's just, a, it's just a gut feel based on all the different things we see when we're managing our customers' business on a daily basis. I feel like the vibe check, that was my favorite one, was uh, somebody recently talked about uh, vibes trump everything in terms of when we're talking about facts, data, and sometimes even narratives. So uh, hopefully the vibe check improves. Uh, got about a minute left here. Uh, thinking about uh, final thoughts. Is now the time where you're in the corner and you try to accelerate and get better? Would I want to like look into more warehousing and stuff like that? Or uh, is there something like batting down the hatches, hang tight, and then see if you see some green shoots? I, I never miss an opportunity to try to get better, right? So how do we get drive higher cost? Uh, it, or how do we drive lower cost, higher service to customers in faster times, faster, better, cheaper, right? So it was never a bad time to get faster, better, and cheaper. Um, and it's always willing to look into it. So, you know, more warehousing, it all depends on the goal. But how do you get faster, better, and cheaper is never a bad time to do it. Never a bad time indeed. Phil, folks want to get in touch, learn more about ODW or get in touch with you yourself. What's the best way to find out? Yeah, Phil Schmidbauer. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, phil.schmidbauer at odwlogistics.com. We've also got a website that's pretty cool. So come check us out. Perfect. Thanks for your time again. Great getting to catch up. We'll circle back again as we get more developments. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Take care, Thomas. That's going to be a wrap for today, but we have a new showtime coming up in February. It is 2 p.m. Eastern, not 1 p.m. So if you're waiting for us live, check us out then. Also, freightways.com slash loaded and rolling, like and subscribe. We'll just see you next week. We'll do it live.